Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom. Baruch Hashem, Mishpocha in the chat. Blessings on all of you in the chat and all of you tuning in out there today and those of you that are watching later. Remember, do subscribe to the channel. It really does make a difference. Give us some thumbs up as we go through the teaching. And remember, in the chat, if you can redline Torah to the tribes at the end or towards the end of the teaching, um, I'll hopefully be able to answer and engage with a lot of you with some questions and answers afterwards. And thank everybody that's continuing to support this ministry through these times with your giving and your stewardship. It really, truly does make all the difference. I'm excited this week. We are in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. Of course, chapter 11, we are dealing with the two witnesses, the two witnesses. And as we go through the chapter, I'm only going to have a, a shorter teaching today because I wanted to be able to break this chapter up into several parts because I really do think it's a very important one. Plus, I'm delaying getting into Revelation 12 because so many of you are anticipating it as I am. But I really do believe that we are in step perfectly with what's going on in the world as Yahuwah's prophetic word guides us. And yes, I do anticipate, as you do, the two witnesses coming. And I've got to tell you, I do need assistance. Don't you need assistance? In these times, even before we have seen the manifestation of the two witnesses, we have the two witnesses to guide us through these difficult times. We have the power of prayer, which is a witness, and we have the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. So oftentimes we can project too far in the future thinking, oh, this will happen. But right now, to go through difficult times, we have two witnesses. When I first came into the Torah, Many years ago, I had an old man who was a friend who led me into much of the understanding that I do have now, and he has since passed away. But I remember having him around my house before I had children a long time ago, and he was in his late 70s at the time, and he had a beautiful leather-bound journal that he had had for 40-odd years. And it was dog-eared and torn up. And I remember sitting there one night, and it was dark, and the, the wood stove was going, and he was sharing me all about the Torah and Sabbath, and it was blowing my mind, you know. And I asked him about his journal, and he said, you know, since I was a young man, I've had the witnesses with me. I'm like, what do you mean? I've had the two witnesses with me. Every time I've prayed, I've written down my prayers in this journal. And sometimes it's been almost immediate. Sometimes I've become discouraged. And the prayer, the line underneath has been left blank, sometimes for decades. But let me show you something. And he opened up this journal. And it was a journal of prayers prayed 
and prayers answered hundreds and hundreds. We have the two witnesses with us now. And as we go through trying times, whether it's with your family, with your loved ones, trying to navigate your way into a store, even if you'll be allowed in, know that we have the two witnesses of prayer and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit now, that we are a powerful people. Now, today, if you hear his voice, I'm excited about Revelation 11 and the future two witnesses, but are they future? Well, I suggest that one of the witnesses is already with us that the two witnesses of prayer and the Ruach HaKodesh are already with us. But be watchful in this time, because there's another two witnesses being raised up, and they are false witnesses that are being raised up right by the government agencies in front of your eyes. So this is a powerful chapter. And we need the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit to navigate these days because we are a prophetic people. The witnesses are raised up. In the seventh verse, we find that the witnesses are killed. Don't let anybody try to kill your witness of prayer and your witness of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't let that be killed. That's what you have in you because we are redeemed. I am not the same man that I was born as. I'm a new creation. And that is a witness that the world must see in these days. All of you out there. I have been resurrected before I'm resurrected. Because I count the old man as dead. As dead as the apostle um, Paul said. And then finally we will see in this chapter the seventh trumpet. Which is all about proclaiming the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom, don't we? And that's what we do right now, is proclaim the kingdom to come. And what better time to do it than in these days that we live in? Revelation 11 and the first verse, And there was given to me a reed, and it was a reed like a rod, a measuring rod. And the heavenly Malak angels stood saying, Rise. And measure, measure the temple of Yahweh and the altar and those that worship in it. But the court that is outside, that's designated in a different jurisdiction, in a different territory. Leave that out and do not measure it, for it is given to the Gentiles, to the nations to the kingdoms of men. And the Kadosh, the holy city, shall they tread underfoot 42 months. Measure the temple closure, but don't measure the court. Meaning, this is all about a particular elevation and denigration. 
Remember, it's the elevation of the Melchizedek priesthood, the inner court, and then those that remain outside to face the fate of the world, left into the hands of the nations. And we were having a conversation before we went live today about the the stages of growth as you come into the Sabbath, as you come into the understanding of Torah, and there's a time when you're, when you're angry because the prophet Jeremiah said, my people, they've been lied to. You were li- we were lied to in the world and when we were in religion. We were lied to, and it brings forth some anger, but we have to move forward forward through that because oftentimes when we were in traditional religion it was all happy clappy and our naivety to the world and the occult realm in which they operate all I can say is it was naivety and a lot of it was based upon we're going to get out of jail free with the rapture So why worry about what happens later in the revelation? Well, now you're stuck here. You're stuck. You're stuck here with me. And we're going through persecution. Because that is something that we were assured. But you will have the two witnesses with you. You already have the two witnesses of prayer and the Ruach HaKodesh. And we look forward to but we don't need to anticipate yet what is to come when we have the power from on high within right now. But there is a distinction between those that are inside the Malkitzedic priesthood under the covering of the blood of the Lamb and those that have the testimony of Yahushua and keep his commandments. That's a particular classification. And then those that may be believers, but they have chose not to walk in his ways, and therefore their naivety, and we've all been there, leaves them at the threshold of the nations. The naivety, I look back when I was in the church, It was pretty sweet because I was oblivious to what I now know. And what I now know is just like last week. It's sweet that I know it. It's revelation. But it's also bitter, isn't it? Don't you sometimes think, oh, it would be so much easier to unknow what I know now? When I thought that I was going to be in my swimming trunks having a margarita and all of a sudden my Speedos would be left behind. I know that's... that's (laughs) And I would have been gone to heaven. I know that's a a gross and graphic picture. But but still, you know, it's the truth. The naivety. And now I'm faced with knowledge comes responsibility. And that responsibility is sometimes a lot to handle. And therefore, we must press into the two witnesses that we do have with us presently, which is prayer and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. Yahweh will know this. Yahweh will keep his priesthood close to him. 
He will keep his priesthood. You guys that are tuning in, you right here, me, he will keep us close to him. He says that right here. There is a distinction between the naivety that is cast out and left to the hands of the nation and those that he will draw close to him, whereas those in the compromising church will be left to the hands of an unbelieving world. Contact tracers, vaccinations, and the naivety that comes along with not keeping the commandments of Yahweh. Because if you do not keep the law of Yahweh, you will be given over to the law of men. And it is much harsher to face the judgment of the hands of men than to face the judgment of Yahweh. I would rather face the judgment of Yahweh as the prophet said, because we know that Yahweh is also long suffering and merciful as he renders judgment to the third and fourth generation, but he also is merciful. The heathen is unmerciful, and we are seeing that manifest right now. Manifest right now, unmerciful to the weak, unmerciful to those that they would go after. The measuring of the temple is a symbolic way of declaring its preservation. He's measured you. He's measured me. And he continues to measure us because it means it's symbolic of his preservation of you. Yahweh will give sanctuary to the Malkitzedic priesthood to keep the Malkitzedic priesthood safe from the assault of the world and the assault of ultimately the anti-Mashiach. Right now, the world is assaulting one another. They are assaulting one another with their lawlessness, anomia, because the laws of men are and the and they are they are an abomination in comparison to the truth of the laws of Yahuwah. So you have to choose, and if you're lawless, then you're given over to the laws of the nations. But if you keep the commandments of Yahuwah, the law of Yahuwah, which is good, just, righteous, and holy, then you will be brought close under the covering of his son. This is the power of the priesthood because the measuring of the temple corresponds to the sanctuary of the first seal. Remember the first seal that was offered? That was a seal of sanctuary. Come in to the measured place. Come in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an invitation to come into the inner sanctuary by, of course, the rider on the white horse. Now, measuring is always done in order to build and repair, isn't it? You would never think of building and repairing a structure unless you measured it. So this is like the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah said, all about building and repairing. Yahuwah's building his priesthood here in Revelation 11, and he's repairing her wounds and breaches from the buildup and the onslaught that has come upon them from the nations. It's Jacob's first tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble, our current COVID reality. 
It's a trouble out there. It's a trouble of mind programming and propaganda. Only Malkitzedic priests are permitted to enter the inner sanctuary. So we know that worship then must be going on and can only come from those that are sealed under the Malkitzedic priesthood. We know those worshipping couldn't represent the entire body of believers because the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, is the area for those members who have fallen for the doctrine of Balaam. They've fallen for the doctrine of Jezebel. They're believers who claim the name, yet they have compromised with a COVID world. They claim the name, yet they have compromised with a COVID world. Giving up their rights to accept privileges with penalties because they're programmed by a fallen world and they reject the power of the two witnesses, prayer and the Holy Spirit to guide them to the instruction of Yahweh's law. They would rather be programmed by the laws of men than taught by the word of Yahweh. How is that so? And you and I used to be there. Except by his mercy and grace, we have now eyes to see. And oftentimes we would sometimes be tempted to say, oh, it was so much easier when I was naive. Right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I can't stress this enough. The meaning of the priesthood as the first seal and the trampling of the city is the lead-in to the great tribulation. But before Jacob's great tribulation, when, of course, they brought forth the garment with Joseph's spotted blood on it, yet it wasn't Joseph's blood, but it was a pig. It was, what was it? Imagery. It wasn't really true, but it was projection and imagery which led to mass deception and a grieving heart. How many right now out there are being succumbed, or succumbing, I should say, to projection and imagery, and it is causing them a grieving heart? The world is grieving right now, and it is being manifest in people's anger towards maybe you or you because you're not falling in step with the Gestapo. You're not falling in step with what they say is safe. Spatial distance. But we know that there's nothing new under the sun. Yahweh gathers and Satan scatters. Yahweh gathers and Satan scatters. Yahweh unveils and Satan seeks to veil. Yahweh releases the captives, and Satan seeks to put you in bondage. Yahweh says, set the captives free, and Satan says, bring him in the house and take him captive. Put him in quarantine. It's a dichotomy, it's a delusion, and it's here. It's here. 
because they have no two witnesses with them right now. No powerful Ruach HaKodesh to guide your steps by day and night and no prayer to be answered or fulfilled. And even when you pray and you don't get an answer, it is a sweet fragrance that lays upon the altar in the heavenlies waiting to be ignited the moment that Yahuwah divines that it be ignited. But it does not wait there helplessly and haplessly. It has a purpose to kindle, to savor, and to bring fragrance into the nostrils of Yahuwah. Your prayers, whether they are answered on or not, are a sweet fragrance and they leave this realm and they move into the heavenly realm. They leave this world. Anything that you and I have that can leave this world is a blessing and it was a day worth living. Because people that don't have the two witnesses, they are in bondage to this world and nothing, not even their spirits and bodies have an opportunity to leave this world. But everything that we have in Moshiach will leave this world. Our bodies will be resurrected. Our spirits will go back to the Father. Our souls uh, are numbered and recorded in the book of life. Everything that you are, your personality, and that carcass of yours will be transfigured into life. We are leaving this, I won't say planet, because I'll upset some of you out there. This dust bowl behind. We have the two witnesses today, but we always have had one, and we will again find two. But the COVID reality is that two false witnesses are being raised up, and it's being telegraphed right before us now. We're in Revelation chapter 11. There is no better place to be right now on this particular Sabbath day. In crystal clarity, I pray this message sobers you all up as it has sobered me up. And it sobers you up to your calling and your privilege of being able to see what you do currently see. The clarity of the Malkitzedic priesthood has been entrusted unto you, unto me, unto this ministry. Because Yahweh is distinguishing the inner hidden reality of the assembly as a kingdom of priests who worship Yahweh in his presence from that which is out in the court of the Gentiles, handed over to the nations, the outer veneer. Oh, it looks glossy, it's shiny. Those professing believers that are going to be exposed because of the naivety and because of the rejection of the law of Yahuwah, it will be given over into the law of men. And if you haven't seen the corruption of the law of men and the tyranny when those in power take it to the streets, then I don't know what this week, where you've been, where you've been. It's a dichotomy. And it is coming real. We have got one of two choices. One of two choices. Be a Malkitzedic kingdom of priests or 
be exposed to persecution by the kingdom of nations. We are called to fulfill the end time roles of kings like Zerubbabel and priests like Yehoshua. There's really four witnesses. There's really four witnesses. You've got your false witnesses that are being raised up in this COVID world right before our eyes. Bill and Melinda Gates. There's your two witnesses. Or you've got your two witnesses in Revelation 11, verses 3 and 4. What choice will you make? Well, I know what choice the nations are making, don't you? It's so clear. They're telegraphing what they hope to come. The raising up of their two witnesses. Based upon the fear of man who has no spirit, but one of fear and praise to the gods of this world. In God we trust. No, I don't, I don't trust that God. That God that was put on the back of money when they took it away from being backed up by gold and silver. Check out a silver certificate. It's backed by silver. There's no in God we trust. You don't invoke the deity until you've robbed and plundered the people. And then when the note is used to pay a note, which is an unjust weight and measure, you better back up the note by the Babylonian deity from which the note was tendered. There is nothing new under the sun. This is a cult magic. It's a belief system, which is why they invoke the deity. Silver certificates were backed up by silver. They didn't need in the deity we trust because it wasn't a belief system. It actually was a just weight and measure. Don't tell me in God we trust is invoking the deity that I serve because he said you shall not partake and be involved in unjust weights and measures. You can't pay a note with a note. This is insanity, the naivety of what we used to believe. This is permeated through everything. It's economical, it's spiritual, it's kingdom, and it is being manifest right before your eyes. And again, I'm the bearer of good news, the gospel, but with it comes some salt. And it's going to be rubbed into the wounds of those that have done it to themselves. Because you're weeping with the sores of a lazy life because you've become worldly. I'm not talking to you and my audience because otherwise you wouldn't be here. But we're talking about what we could have been if Yahweh wasn't merciful to us and shown us the truth of his Torah 
and his testimony first and foremost. To the Torah and to the testimony. If they speak not this, they do not have the truth in them. You see? It's clarity, isn't it? I digress. I digress. We have two false witnesses being raised up right before us right now because we have four witnesses to choose from. You can choose from what the world is choosing, the Bill and Melinda Gates. It's a foundation. So you could say that the other pairing of the false witnesses would be another foundation. And it also begins with a Bill, but it ends with a Hillary, right? They're both to wit, they're both, you know what I'm saying, okay? I'm being facetious, but really, it's insanity, isn't it? We've got the COVID kingdom of gagged serfs, or you want a Malkitzedic kingdom of prophesying priests. What do you want? A COVID kingdom of gagged serfs. Well, who's behind that? Lucifer. Or you have a Malkitzedic kingdom of prophesying priests. You can't be gagged if you're going to prophesy. You need to have a loud voice and you need to put that shofar in your mouth and you need to speak the words of Yahweh. Do you want to be a free man or do you want to be a serf? Do you want to be gagged or do you want to be prophesying? Do you want to be politically powerless or do you want to be prophetically powerful? I choose the latter because I have the two witnesses already with me. And so do you. The world has chosen their two witnesses. And with those two witnesses that they have chosen, they will see visitations. Not visitations like you and I will see. Ours shall be from on high, but theirs shall be from on low. Knock, 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 as the contact tracer visits their house. Contact tracer visitations. Or do you want to be visited by the angelic word of Yahuwah? This is really just beginning to unfold right before our very eyes. And they have telegraphed this with their two false witnesses. It was yet only one week ago when Pier 45 suspiciously was set ablaze. Why? Because they're telegraphing to you that they're going to set ablaze 45 by setting ablaze the cities across America in the next week of which they have now done. Because this is all about setting ablaze 45. So the occult Luciferic realm had to telegraph it to you first because then that then is like them drinking the blood of children. It's so perverted that it empowers them. They telegraphed it by setting ablaze Pier 45 because they plan to set ablaze the 45th presidency by setting ablaze the cities across this nation in the subsequent weeks by using what? Race baiting and, of course, dividing the children of Adam against one another. Distraction. But they telegraph it all because they are wicked as hell. 
I told you. I just sometimes want to unsee the prophetic visions that I see because now I know that I can, the naivety of it, I sometimes, oh, it would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Stand in line, stand on the X, put your mask on, come over here, yeah, roll up your arm, yeah, we'll just give you a shot, yeah, come on over here. Oh, yeah, yeah, come over here, unemployment line, oh, we'll get the money to you. So, okay, we've got a stimulus check coming. Don't worry about anything, you don't have to prepare for the future, you've got social security. It's okay, we'll take care of you from cradle to grave, just like we did. When we took you by fish hooks in the tongue and led you into Babylon. Just how we did just then, we'll do it. As we did then, so shall we do again today. And then there's this peculiar people coming out of the nations to have the testimony of Yahushua and keep his commandments. And they are a persecuted, troubled bunch that question everything because the light of Yahweh's word and the power of his law makes them enmity against the world. If you love the world, then you cannot love me, saith Yahweh. You shall choose, and today we have chosen because we have two witnesses guiding us through these perilous COVID times. There is nothing more powerful than the word of Yahweh and his two witnesses right now to deal with the wickedness out there in the world. So excuse me for my passion. I get criticized often for it. Oh, my goodness. I've got to sit down and have a drink from our sponsor. <laughs> Uh, I'm starting to, this is starting to become a habit of mine, isn't it? What is it? The intensity of Revelation chapter, whatever, any chapter, every chapter, every verse, the power of it. Oh, my goodness. Maybe we should just go back to the book of John or the Beatitudes. We could do the Romans road. Check out the Romans teaching. There's no Romans road about that. That one blows apart every church paradigm that you were taught. There are so many ideas of who the two witnesses are, though, aren't there? The world has chosen theirs. They're being raised up right now. It's all being telegraphed to you. The JWs, well, they chose theirs a long time ago. Of course, it's the 144,000. They've convinced their Luciferic cult. But you denigrate the deity of Yahusha, and you're a degenerate. So their end will be to be stuck in the nations as well. Mainstream Christianity, they don't really care too much about the two witnesses. Because they're going to be pre-tribulation raptured right out of there. So why bother? Just read from Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 4, and then just pick up the Tim LaHaye book, and you've got the rest of the picture. (gasps) 
I've heard that from many people. Many, many people. The older church tradition from Victorian times believes that the two witnesses are Moshe and Elijah. Now, a popular messianic idea is that the two witnesses are Ephraim and Judah, collectively. Of course, we've got Elijah from the house of Ephraim, and we could have John, John the Beloved, a Levite from the house of Judah individually. But there is a question that often comes up that I thought we should address today because we do have the two witnesses with us, power of prayer and the Ruach HaKodesh. And I thought I would camp on what is with us or possibly has always been with us. And that is the beloved John. Is he one of the two witnesses? And has he always been here with us? Or has he? This is a question that has been posed to me. And I thought, well, this would be a great opportunity to examine that question. Because we know that time is but a human construct. Yahweh is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is outside of time. He is over. He can be here. He can be there. He is beyond and above all and all. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Has he come in his kingdom yet? Has he? Well, then these words beg a question to be answered. Now, according to historical sources, John the Apostle escaped a natural death. He was exiled to the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean region, where he supposedly was left to live out the rest of his mortal life. Emperor Domitian imprisoned Yohanan, John, in Rome and had him beaten, poisoned, and thrown into a cauldron, according to historical sources, boiling oil three times. John stepped out, miraculously unharmed, and was banished to the island of Patmos instead. This is according to history. But then what happened to him on Patmos? Well, Peter's death, which was traditionally dated around 67 of the Common Era, John would have been the elder or presiding senior apostle at that time. Now, many sources state that years later, John lived in Ephesus. And we looked into this in the first chapter and the introduction to the Revelation series. But then John was exiled to Patmos in around 90 of the Common Era by, of course, Emperor Domitian. And he returned to Ephesus during the reign of Nerva, which was between 96 and 98 of the Common Era. Of course, Nerva was Domitian's successor. He never died on Patmos. Just the opposite. Now... This is written many, many years ago. It's from the Church Father's book, The Acts of John. Quote, 
and gazing towards heaven, he glorified Yahweh. And having sealed himself altogether, he stood and said to us, Peace and grace be with you, brethren. And he sent the brethren away. And when they went on the morrow, they did not find him, but his sandals and a fountain welling up. And after they remembered what had been said to Peter by Yahuwah about him. For what does this concern thee if I should wish him to remain until I come? And they glorified Elohim for the miracle that had happened. And having thus believed, they retired praising and blessing Yahuwah because to him is due glory now and ever and to the ages and ages. Amen. John reports to us that he was told while he was still alive in Revelation, look at Revelation 10.1, and he said to me, you must prophesy again before many peoples, nations and tongues and kings. Could he be one of the two witnesses that has remained as a witness for thousands of years, walking this earth? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his heavenly angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, like we just read. There are some that are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The scripture allows us to interpret that John never died. The scripture allows us to comprehend that Yahweh is beyond time. That time is just a human construct for you to feel secure in such a fallen world. I don't need to feel safe. I don't want to feel safe. I don't like safety. I never did. I have lived a life of risk because I like to live. And now that I'm alive more than I've ever been before, I want to live even more because I want to live for the kingdom. And I choose life. I choose liberty. I choose freedom over safety any day of the week. But you choose because there's two witnesses that are handing you safety on a silver platter now. And you have that choice. And I don't begrudge the choice that you make. Don't begrudge the choice that I made when I was 24 all those years ago. Don't hate me because of my freedom. I won't hate you because of your stupidity. Ignorance is no excuse and not obeying the laws of Yahweh, where you find true freedom and true liberty. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. I am in a very deep mood today. Can you tell? Very thoughtful and very deep. I am grieved, but I also have hope. 
And after six days, Yahushua took Kepha, Yaakov, and Yochanan, his brother, and brought them up onto a high mountain alone to make prayer. And while he was making prayer, he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine like the sun, and his clothing was a white raiment as light. And see, there appeared to him Moshe and Eliyahu, Elijah, talking with him about what would happen to him in Jerusalem. John saw the kingdom in a vision without dying first. So literally, one of those three disciples would not die until the kingdom arrived, in a literal sense. He would die, however, after prophesying and giving witness for a second time here in Revelation chapter 11. Since it's appointed unto all men once to die, and then, when, then, when, then, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And now I digress, because I want to sip from our sponsor. But think about Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And then... We'll address a subject that keeps raising its head. And this is a great opportunity for you to get very busy in the chat right now, redlining at Torah to the tribes, because I'm going to wrap this up shortly, because I want you to help those that have been bewitched out there with what I'm about to teach. Now, maybe you may be out there and you say, no, we haven't been bewitched. Well, then we would just ask for scriptural support on your belief system because I'm open to maybe missing something. But when I read the scripture, the scripture clearly says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and that's not good enough for you. And it's not good enough for me because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. So I'll give you three. Hebrews 9.27, and it is appointed to men once to die, but after the death, then what happens? The judgment. The judgment. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, let's read it. Oh, now I'm in my winging it mode. Not that I wasn't winging it earlier, but... Hebrews, no, 1 Corinthians. Did I say 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, see? That's what happens. Oh, there's nothing like the good King Jimmy, well, well torn, well worn in over the years. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Oh, this used to be a lot easier to read. Now I must squint. Must, must squinteth. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Mashiach, that each one, each one may receive the things done when? When? The things done when? In the body. Meaning, to me, which connects with Hebrews 9.27, you will be judged for what you did in this mortal coil. Because there's a teaching, which is a cuss word, C-U-S, called conditional universal salvation. 
that was put out by the worldwide church of God that, of course, has popped up many times in the Torah to the tribes movement. I call it post-mortem salvation, meaning this. This is the belief. Let's get your answers in the chat. That under this belief system, which was propagated by Herbert Armstrong. Now, we do know that Herbert W. Armstrong, he actually was disfellowshipped here in Salem, Oregon. Isn't that amazing? From the, from the Church of God. He was actually disfellowshipped here in Salem, Oregon, where I teach this message today. Very interesting, that. And he came up with this or propagated this very, very popular teaching. Now, I've got to say, I believe the root of this teaching, cuss, conditional universal salvation, better post-mortem. I just like that, post-mortem salvation, meaning that you can get saved after you die even if you lived a wicked hell life. Now, I don't find that in the scripture. Help me out in the chat here. There may be some of you out there, if Aaron's tuning in, and we love Aaron, but Aaron um, does believe this. And I know um, Michelle does as well. But um, many of you that have you know, spent time in the World World Church of God may have believed this, or still do. And you know, maybe we're missing something. But it does need to be addressed because we're talking about witness and testimony. And this is no better time. I digress. Where was I? Help me out. I was going to say something. Come on, front row. All right, I'll give you another scripture. That's always a good place to go. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 17. Oh, I love it when I switch Bibles from the Hebrew back to the King James, and then I get all confused. Oh, it was so much easier when I was naive. Then the order of the scrolls was always the same. Now, they're all shuffled, right? Depending on what Bible. You, you, this Messianic Bible's this way, then another one's this way, then the King Jimmy's this way, and then you get in... Oh. Anyway, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says thus. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of Yahuwah, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of Elohim? What is this? The key to this is what? Activity, present tense, it is obey, which is an action. It's not talking about, oh, you got to live, then die, and then all of a sudden you had a post-mortem resurrection, and now you're at the beamer seat of Christ, and you know everything now because there he is standing before you. you go, oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I choose salvation. Wow. Well, what about all of us that have gone through the fire? and made the hard choice while we were living, and now have seen stuff when it's, it's a lot harder. Well, you guys, you know, you're just the first fruits. The latter harvest is all the unbelievers that get to choose once they know everything. That's like cheating on the test. That's like cheating on... I have a problem with that. That's what I used to do when I was lost, and heathen, and... Dis, 
deserve destruction, which I still do, but now by his mercy and grace I am here, right? I'm talking about a doctrine called conditional universal salvation. Is it a true witness or a false witness? I'm talking about post-mortem salvation. Of course, this was why, one of the reasons why Herbert Armstrong got in trouble right here in Salem, Oregon, all those years ago. So what better place to bring up the subject when we're talking about witnessing the two witnesses, the witness of power of the Ruach HaKodesh and prayer, we do need to know what our destiny is and whether we are to secure our faith through the blood of the Lamb here or if we get to just, you know, drink, be merry and prosper for, you know, today will be as tomorrow. And then we get to, you know, cheat at the test before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Messiah. Now, this is the theology from what I understand. The believers now that choose Yahusha, well, they're the first fruits and they will gain the first, they are the first resurrection. If they die now, they will be resurrected in the first resurrection and get to spend a years, so it is, of course, pre-millennium return of Messiah, which I'm not sure about myself, get to spend a thousand years with Messiah as the first fruits. They were the recipients of the first resurrection. Then, after the millennium, there is the second resurrection of all the other heathen, right, that died, wicked as hell, and then they get to see the glory of Yahusha and cheat on the test. And go, oh, yes, I'll accept salvation now because Yahweh is so merciful that he wants to bring in the rest of the harvest. This is a very foundational, foundational teaching of the worldwide church of God. And I know I'm being a little funny, but now I'll be serious. I know those of you that do hold to this, that it's birthed oftentimes out of a deep wound. You've lost somebody that you love, that you know they weren't living right. And this gives you comfort. It gives you hope. But our hearts are deceitfully wicked. It saddens me that my earthly father is dead. It pains me as a believer that I have had to reconcile the fact that my earthly father will be eternally judged. For he forsook the lamb and forsook the way of righteousness, and he knew it. Yet, I have a heavenly father now, and therefore I draw close to him, and I know that he is above all. And because of the pain and the reality of the loss of my earthly father, 
that he died lost? The scripture clearly tells me that the destiny of fire and judgment awaits for such a man. How hard is that for a son to say of his own earthly father, except I have a heavenly father that has transformed me. I am not who I once was, so I can see and I can say things and see clearly and my witness is true. And I know that this doctrine of which I now speak is oftentimes birthed because you lost someone that you love and you know they were living a riotous, wicked life. And you have yet to reconcile that with the truth of the scripture. What do you guys think in the chat about conditional, universal salvation? Is it a true witness? I find it a false witness myself. But I'm open to the testimony of the saints. I'm open to the witness of the word. And most of all, I know the witness of the Holy Spirit will give me peace. But I thought that was a great reality for us to address in the reality of chapter 11. And there is so much more. This is part one of a multi-part teaching, as you can imagine. So much to talk about, so much to say, so little time. We will put those questions or answers up about conditional universal salvation or better post-mortem salvation in the text. And I will read up and conclude in the next couple of minutes and see if I can get to those red highlighted Torah to the tribe questions. Now remember, Subscribe to the channel and give us some thumbs up. And all of you that do donate and support the ministry, thank you so much. This is the ministry of the end times. It's the Malkitzedic priesthood going to the nations, and Yahuwah is gathering us all from the nations. We know that John must die. The only question remains, when? When? In John chapter 21, verse 18, Yahushua tells Peter what kind of death he'll have to endure. And then Peter asks Yahushua about John concerning the very same topic, John's death. In John chapter 21, verse 20, it is written, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Yahushua loved following, who also was the one that leaned on his breast at supper, who said, Master Yah, who is it, he that betrays you? Kepha, seeing him, said to him, Yahushua, Master Yah, and what about him? And Yahushua said to him, If I desire that he lives until I come, what is it to you? You just follow me. Then this saying went around. See, I'm not the first one that's saying this, okay? This has been going around for thousands of years. I'm just bringing it up again because it's been bothering me. And I thought this was a very appropriate chapter in which to do so. Then this saying went around among the Israelite brothers that this disciple would not die. That's what I'm saying. Yet Yahushua said not to him, you shall not die. Oh, 
okay, all right, it's a possibility. If I choose, well, did he choose? That's the question I'm asking again. That he remains alive until I come, then what is its beeswax to do with you? In other words, he was saying, John will die, but at my second coming, not now. Yahushua never said that John wouldn't die. That was a false report, which is why I brought up the possibility of this conditional universal salvation being a false report. Because we have to be aware of true witness and false witness in this chapter 11. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony, his witness is what? True. John 21 verse 24. In context, what things are true and what things does he swear by? These are the things that keep me awake at night. Not Yahushua's resurrection. Because that had already become an established fact, had it not? They'd already seen Yahushua in glory. No. Could it be that he was testifying that his own death would occur later than the others at the time of the second coming? Did, in fact, John take an oath and swear, as Yahuwah lives, that he himself would remain alive until the great tribulation? Does John try to clarify it for us, reporting that Yahushua didn't say he wouldn't die, but rather said, if I wish, he's telegraphing, if I wish him to remain until I come, then what is it with you? In other words, John will die, but not before his work is accomplished as a witness, as a truth as a testimony to prepare the return of the kingdom. Is it possible? I'm all I'm asking, is it possible? Don't hate me. Is it possible that John is still alive? I think that's a valid question. That's a great answer to put up in the chat, but you've got to red highlight it so I can really see. And that when he does die, it's before the second coming, towards the end of the Great Tribulation. Let's see what everybody says in the chat. We've got a couple of topics that you can talk about now in the chat. Stay on. Stay on topic. We're talking about, is it possible? Is it possible that John is one of the two witnesses? That he has remained alive all this time? Is it possible, if there were ever such a thing, as conditional universal salvation. Is it possible in post-mortem resurrection? I think not. Let's see what you think. In the chat, Mishpocha. Shabbat Shalom. Oh my goodness, busy, busy little bees. I love it. 
All right, this is from Chris in FEMA Region 4. Stick your FEMA Region in here, ladies and gents. That's the reality of our present situation, isn't it? This is Chris. Shabbat Shalom, Chris, FEMA Region 4. In Revelation 22, they mention people on the other side of the wall. Are they the naive Christians that believe but do not keep Torah? Well, that's what I'm kind of talking about today in the difference between the inner court and the outer court, right? The naivety of it all means you get captured in the net of the nations because of the naivety of it all. How do I know? Because I used to be too. And now I'm so aware that oftentimes, no, not oftentimes, but sometimes I wonder if it's a little too intense for me. And you guys out there are like, yes, Matthew, you are a little bit too intense for us too. Not really, because otherwise you wouldn't be tuning into the channel because you guys are intense thinkers and studiers of the word too. That's why we love it here. This is arc angle welding. At Torah to the Tribes, why do churches celebrate and advertise fake holidays like Christmas and stuff? Why do they, brother? We've got a brother who's a truck driver from where? Where are you at? New Orleans that is in studio today. So um, I'm going to ask you that question. Larry, let's give our brother the, um, the mic here because we were talking about this before we went live. Why do churches celebrate and advertise fake holidays like Christmas and stuff? Give it to us in under a minute. Main, mainly because of... Uh Deception, mainly because of deception. You know, uh, many are deceived. You know, Scripture says that many are called and few are chosen. You know, if you look at the root word to the Greek word that's talked about chosen, is it's choice. So, in my opinion, you should read many. Many are called, but few choose. Mm. So, making the right choice is the reason why uh, through the deceptions of time. We've allowed uh, our, uh, what we call it, our own personal intentions and decisions to rule over us as opposed to what the word says itself. Thank you. Great answer. Great answer. Dr. Beverly Anderson, Shabbat Shalom Beverly, asks, should we expect a seven-year treaty between Israel and other nations? Will there be, will there a catching away? So again, um, Beverly, I think one of the big deceptions, one of the greatest deceptions of um, that many of us fell prey to when we were in the traditional church was the 1948 establishment of the state of Israel is biblical Israel, thus ushering in prophecy. And it's not. So no, we should not be expecting a seven-year treaty between Israel because that isn't Israel. That really is Ashkenaz and the kingdom of Japheth. So until we get to biblical Israel, then none of those prophecies come forth. We are still waiting and anticipating. So good question, though. Very good question. Now, John Schuchel asks a question. 
Life, liberty, and freedom. Christian principles that this nation was founded upon. Aren't we doing ourselves a disservice by not participating in voting and changing tyranny and government? Again, many people are going to be upset with me on my stance on this, but my position is... If you opt in to that system, then you are partaking of that system and you get the privileges that come along with it and accordingly the penalties. So it's a lot more than, um, than what it seems. It is a system that personally um, I, 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 I would rather put um, my vote into casting lots or scriptural things like that. Now, Carlos Guzman says, my car has a rapture hatch, or is that a sunroof? No, it is a rapture hatch. I love it. There's always one, isn't it? And they're usually Canadian. They're usually Canadian. So... Oh, here's a good one. Listen, look, seven. Buckingham Palace Gatecrest. Oh, know it well. Unicorn destroyed on the ground by a truck. Only the Lion of Judah left on the crest. Also, palace guard not there, only a Gurkha. Windows boarded up or blocked out. And he's got sound the alarm, sound the alarm. Like that, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Brian Price, Shabbat Shalom, Brian. Could all of these stage and scripted false flag events be part of the deception that deceives the whole world? Yes, definitely. It's the strong delusion. It's the strong delusion. Okay, the blood is shed. That's a good name, isn't it? He is getting ready to put sackcloth on the dome. Mm, some of you know what he's talking about. Then, of course, the Canadian Carlos Guzman is back on his rapture hatch. Car manufacturers know what's up. Well, actually, you know, a lot of them do when you, you think about the naming of the cars and the symbols of the cars. I mean, just we don't need to go there. They, they do know what's up as far as a lot of the cult stuff. Hmm. Renee L. Shabbat Shalom. Have you ever heard the teaching of the Old and New Testaments being the two witnesses? If so, what are your thoughts? Thanks. I think that's a way to look at it. I, don't, I think that's more of a remez, more of a hint and an allegory. Sure. But really, it's one book, you know. And yeah, um, you could break it up. If you were going to break it up, I would break it up to be more sound as covenants. And there's definitely more than two covenants, right? So, you know, that's a good, you know, something that's a coffee table kind of thought, you know, around I wouldn't put too much. Uh... Here's a great question from Tr Tracy Williams. Now, some of you who've been with Torah to the Tribes for a longer time, 
find the teaching where I actually go into this fully because um, I'm not going to be able to give it the full whammy right here. But she does ask a great question. If Yahusha and Paul both wore seat seats, which they did, and they both had the spirit and the laws written on their hearts, and we are, and we are, do we walk as Yahushua walks? Should we not wear them as well? Well, no, and I'll tell you why. Because that was a book of the law ordinance that was added after the golden calf infraction. It was added because the man was so blooming wicked, he wouldn't even keep the Sabbath. He wouldn't even keep the Sabbath. So they needed a reminder on the outside of their garments to remain sexually pure because they had just been a whoring with the golden calf. And they couldn't even keep the Sabbath. So they had an outward sign of what was supposed to be an inward reality. But Yahushua came wearing seat seats. He died. He rose again and he sits now on the right hand of the Father. He is a greater mediator than Moshe. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us now that the Torah that was written on tablets of stone, of which they broke with their whoring, is now written on our hearts, our inward parts, and we've been given the Holy Spirit. So I pose a question to your question. Do you need to look at an outward garment to remind you to keep the commandments of Yahuwah. If you have not a converted heart and the tablets written on your heart and the Holy Spirit does not indwell you and you are still under the book of the law, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. But if you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have been brought into the new book of the covenant by the blood of the Lamb, and the commandments are now written on your heart on a better place, the same commandments, and you have the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what guides you to keep the commandments? Because I sure know I walked around without seat seats for 20, who knows how many years, and then I walked around with seat seats for who knows how many years. And now I walk around with no seat seats, but I have the power of the Holy Spirit to convict me when I'm in sin. And the commandments written on my heart to guide me every step of the way, whether I'm clothed or in the shower. So there you go. It had a purpose, but Yahushua redeems and transforms Archangel Welding says, Hey, Matthew, that water looks refreshing. Where is it from? Well, yes, it blooming well does. It has a high mineral content. It is Gerolsteiner, and it is from Germany. And it is, oh, it's, um, it's from Gerolstein. And, of course, those of you German out there, are going to correct me on my pronunciation. I like it a lot. It's a great size, and it's very sparkly. This one and my uh, Topper Chico are my two favorites, so I go back between the two. Let's see. We have, well, let's get to some um, post-mortem salvation.
Brian Price asks, now we're going to get into the post-mortem salvation or conditional universal salvation. So if you've got thoughts about whether that's a true doctrine or not, if it is, then give us some support scripturally. If not, then tell us why not. Hit me up with that right now. We're going to start off with Brian Price. If there is no post-mortem salvation or healing, what are the leaves of the tree of life for which are used for the healing of the nations and who administers those leaves? Well, I think what you're doing is running together um, the millennium and then after the millennium. So the healing of the neat leaves is for the millennium. But, you know, there's two different um, belief systems with that. The pre-millennium return of Yahusha or the post-millennium return of Yahusha. I personally am more geared to a post-millennial return of Yahusha. And I believe that um, that really does explain a lot so let's see. I'll go to the bottom here. I'm going to have to refresh my screen, apparently. Okay, there we go. Does anybody have anything on conditional universal salvation? Anybody? Put it up in the chat. Diesel Grandpa is going to send some Topo Chico heading my way. I hope so, Diesel Grandpa, because it's they've been. Uh, I don't know what happened. I can't get it. Can't get it down here yonder. Okay, I'm looking for something on the. Um, Conditional universal salvation here, guys. Oh, I'm not seeing anything here. Am I missing? Help me out. Diesel Grandpa, am I missing something here? Julia? Shabbat Fellowship? I'm not seeing anything about conditional universal salvation in the chat. Are you guys even listening? How about here? Come on, let's give the old, uh, the old, old, not really old, young and handsome pastor um, a, 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 an opportunity to teach us here. Come on. No, no, conditional universal salvation. You got anything? How about you? Who's got something in-house? Conditional universal sal salvation. I'm getting nothing here on the chat. You guys, what are you doing? Oh, somebody posted on conditional. Where did you post on conditional? Yahoo Shannon says, yes. What, yes on conditional? Universal salvation, Revelation 24 and Revelation 20. We sat on thrones and we judged them according to their works. Yes, but that doesn't mean, from my understanding, that they get an... Uh, you know, to cheat on the test, and that all of us, yeah, we judge them because, yes, the, the, we judge them based upon their works, and, and um, their works are found lacking, right? Not all of a sudden, um, a condi I don't think that one limits us. Um, if that's the case, 
Okay, well, we got. Get this mic. Hang on, wait so the audience can hear. If universal conditional. Conditional universal salvation. Salvation is a, a true doctrine, then that, that means basically no one. No one's wrong. I mean, in other words, we everything that's written in our Father's Word is doesn't mean anything to us if everyone's covered at the end. What was the blood of Yahushua? Right. What What was that, it necessary for? Why Why do we have a a lamb that was slain by the from the foundation of the world if everything's all covered? It just don't make sense. Okay. Anybody? Any anything else here? Yes. Hit it. Hit it. Hit it. Thank you. Thank you. Help me out in here, guys. I I I face this myself. I think on a daily daily basis. Is it my right to judge? And it is when we stand before the throne of God. We have all been children here on the earth, with the opportunity to accept or reject. Many will never have had the opportunity to accept. They, we might say they know not right from wrong, and yet their life experience teaches them that there are actions that we can perform in our lives that are detrimental to others, including killing others. It's not my choice to judge that. I feel that if our Father can forgive me, he can forgive all. Yes, but I think the question being posed is, is the time for forgiveness this life, or is there an opportunity after? Because I would differ, and this is a, a very um, common with that theology, is that people haven't had the opportunity. Yet Paul says to the Romans that they have had the plain opportunity because the Yahweh has been manifest through the creation it is evidently shown. So I would disagree with that because the Apostle Paul tells us otherwise. But it's mainly about um, salvation and the opportunity in this life. And this life is the time of the harvest. Um, but excellent, excellent. Um, thank one, you. Just yes. a final word. Hit us up, yes. Uh, and that was um, that Yeshua said to his listeners at the time, um, he is without sin. Let him cast the first stone. Thank you. So we should not be um, judging and determining whether a person is saved or not saved in this life. But we are to judge people, but not their eternal salvation, because we don't know. But the question that I'm trying to ask is, what about this life here? This life you know, that, that's in, 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 um, interesting. Okay, let's see. Let's see here. Now I think I might be getting a little action here. Bear with me. Walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling, much more truth. Very, very true. You do want to, but you also want to have a message of, of, uh, of truth to testify and not have any muddy waters. Modesto Gaza says, 
If there is an elect chosen before the foundation of the earth, it implies predestination. But if the name can be blotted out of the book of life, it proves a condition, a reconcile, question mark. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. Um, Cilicia posted. I'm not finding that. Where is that? Cilicia. You guys are hitting me up quite a lot now, so I'm trying to f- go back here. Have a look in the chat there, would you, um, if you see anything re- regarding conditional universal salvation there, Larry? Maybe missing something. Giant killer says Ecclesiastes 9.5, as far as cast goes, conditional universal salvation. Hallelujah worship, no, because it doesn't make sense. So I, I have a question. Yeah, hang on a second. Sparkinu is Yah. The condition of salvation is obedient to Yahweh's covenant. See John 3.36. Yes, question in-house. Okay, can you tell me, um, so if there's another time for them to repent, when is that time? Well, the, the doctrine um, from the Worldwide Church of God is that in this life, those that get saved are the, the first fruits, and they, if they die, um, when they die, they will be the first resurrection and go into the millennium. Then all the wicked dead, the you know, you know, lived a wicked life, like Stalin, for instance, they'll get resurrected after the millennium. They'll get to have the whole test put out before them, Yahushua in his glory, and then. Are they going to choose him or destruction? Well, at that point, it's like (laughs) destruction, salvation. Oh, you know what? And no consequence for a wicked life. That's the second resurrection, and they are the full harvest that's brought in. That's the the basis, you know, in a a nutshell of conditional universal salvation. So it says... Wants to die, then judgment. Hebrews nine is and a big one. Nine twenty-seven. They have the books open. If your name's written in the book of life, there. Yeah, so I I just don't see that. No. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let me just read another, and then we'll get some more action in here. Cilicia Elkanah, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not nor do they have any more reward for their remembrance is forgotten. Well, that right there, thank you, sister. That's pretty clear. They don't have any more reward. I would say the conditional universal salvation would be a very big reward. So that doesn't tie in with that, that, that um, scripture. Chelsea, Chris and Chelsea Mul- Mulroney, I have thoughts on conditional universal salvation. 
but this chat only allows for short posts, so I'll have to wait for an in-person convert. No, that's not a, no, 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 you won't. You're going to have to make multiple posts. Put it in the bottom right now, because we want to edify everybody. Um, so, yeah, just multiple post it. Mickey, Shabbat Shalom, Mickey. Why is there a second throne room to judge your works if they don't matter? Well, there you go. Tonya goes back to occultism and everyone has their own truth, false teaching. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm coming from. That's just me, but you know. It keeps coming up, so I thought, what a, what a, what a great uh, way to do it here. Ah, Drew, um, I always thought the first fruits were those that followed Yahuwah before the Messiah was born. That's, that's, that's a thought. I thought the first fruits were those that were raised at um, his crucifixion, right? That seemed like the first fruits to me, right? You know, Lazarus would be one of those as well. So Ecclesiastes 9.5, no to the universal salvation. Here's a good one. Ola, Hebrews 10.26. For if we sin willfully, after that we received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Very solid, very solid. I like him. We just get right to the scripture. Grand Diesel Grandpa says, who would ever choose not to accept after death? It doesn't make any sense. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense, but it keeps coming up. So why not talk about it right here when we're talking about true witnesses and false witnesses? Drew says the rich man and Lazarus. Yashub, we were put on the earth to choose between life and death. I don't believe in salvation after death. Yashub, I hope I get to meet you one day, mate, because what you say oftentimes is very profound, very short, and uh, right to the point, and I like it. So thank you. Thank you. You need to connect with us more. Let's see. Jose, I think I saw Jose. Yeah, Shabbat fellowship. Then Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moshe and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone raises from the dead. How about this verse? I say, Jose, that's a fabulous verse. Come on now. This is good. I'm not seeing Aaron. Where is Aaron? Where's Michelle Moneywell? These guys are big proponents of conditional universal salvation. Maybe Aaron is asleep today. Maybe Michelle it got caught up there down on Pier 45 in San Francisco. We hope you're safe. Oh, oh, Aaron is here. I already put multiple posts earlier. Okay, I'm going back. I'm going back, Aaron. I want to see what you've got to say. Now, Aaron, um, Aaron did talk about this at Sukkot, and we were up till 1 o'clock in the morning. 
And um, Aaron knows the, um, where I'm at on this, and I know where he's at, but um, we are we're not belligerents about it. So what it. do we do with the parable of the wheat and the tares? All right, here we go. I'm backing up here, guys. I'm backing up. All right, here we go. What do we do with the wheat and the tares? Right, there's another great question. Now I'm going to hit some Aaron Cermak for you guys. Now, Aaron's a good guy, so don't give me any lip about him being a mason last week. He's not a mason, even though he's got a bit of an odd picture here, which I can't quite figure out, but somebody didn't like that. Um, but Aaron and me have already gone back and forth on this, and he knows that I like to chat about this because I find it it's a very interesting topic. The last great day could be the hundred-year period mentioned in Scripture when all are resurrected to judgment. Okay, so then we'll skin down some more. Those who choose death on the last day of judgment will be thrown in the lake of fire to be annihilated, dead, dead, never to return to life again. But then again, who wouldn't choose life when you've got the exam all laid out before you? That doesn't seem um, right to me. Let's see what else we got. Let's see what else we've got. That's an open book test, isn't it? Yes, yes. Are the fallen angels included in this? Are the fallen angels included in this? Well, yeah, wow. It's an easy A, isn't it, really? Shabbat Fellowship says the Hebrew thought of death in the scripture is not a simple chronology. It is that you die once and then you die in judgment unless you are saved from judgment as pictured by the last great day. All right. Let's see Libby. Libby's, I haven't seen Libby on here. Hit, hit me up with Libby, Conditional Universal Salvation. Lynn says, all will have the opportunity to hear the truth. I believe so. I believe that's what Paul said to the Romans. I mean, I really do believe that. It's fully manifest in the creation. And, you know, we always get the secularism, the secularists saying, well, there was a little boy in India. And, you know, how did he know? How is he ever going to, you know, it's been, it's clearly manifest. When you do something wicked, sorry, when I was a little boy, I knew something was wrong. I was on my bed when I was a little boy crying out. I knew, but I chose not to. And you can go, oh, worse, yes, well, you grew up in England. But I've met people from all over the world. And sometimes just because you're in a Church of England state doesn't make it any easier than if you're in the middle of Timbuktu. Romans clearly... Paul says to the Romans that it has been made manifest to all will have the opportunity to hear the truth. So I agree right there, Lynn. There we go. Let's see. I lay before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. 
Well, Book of Nanda says this. Now, some of you are going to get upset because they've got the name, the Book of Nanda. Could it be that some people are seed of Satan eternally doomed, but some are not, are the seed of Adam? And if they are covered by your prayers, could they then be acquitted? No. I mean, it says in Romans, again, he is the potter, we are the clay, and some of the clay has been determined, destined for destruction. Destined for destruction. Pharaoh was destined for destruction, and he even confessed his sins and repented, yet he was destined for destruction. So... Let's hit him with the mic. If you've got questions, we've got a mic up. Yashub says, I don't believe in post-mortem salvation. I'm with you, Yashub, but I had to bring it up because we are in the Revelation, the 11th chapter, and we've got to get the true witness going here, and we've got to make sure that there is clarity in the camp. Aaron Cermak says, all works are worthy of death as a fulfillment of the law. Only those who choose to be the bride of Messiah are given eternal life, as the resurrection of the Messiah is the fulfillment of law to life. Now, I would agree with that statement. Our works are but filthy rags. We are not saved by our works. Do not get me wrong. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb alone. And then because of salvation, we see our hearts are changed. And then because we are now a new creation, we then bring forth works fitting of righteousness. The works don't save us. They are a sanctifying purpose and a witness and a testimony to a dying world but we must never ever forget where we came from it's all about the blood of the lamb but i remember and i'm very ashamed to say this i remember being saved being freshly saved 1996 august 1996 I went back to London, October 1996, by myself. Went out with all my friends that I used to work in the hair business with in London, partying. Been saved two months. Got totally lit. Got all loose-lipped about my new salvation. Talking to them all about Jesus, cussing out of my mouth, dropping F-bombs. Thank you. I'm no more saved than I was back then, but I tell you what, I am way more sanctified and my witness is not a polluted, convoluted mess like it was back then. That is works fitting of the calling of the blood. I'm no more saved, but I am more sanctified and I pray that my witness is more true today. But his blood is no more powerful in my life now than it was back then. It is salvific and has always been salvific. Yes. The good works spoken of in the scripture are not predicated on what we think good works are. The scriptures mandate what the good works are in the Torah. 
Very good. Thank you. Yes, it's not about, you know, that you don't dance and um, you do, and we know that you do and you do, and, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, well, her skirt doesn't reach her knees. I mean, we're, I mean it's about the works of Torah. Michelle Moneywell says, it is up to Yah to call and choose. I would agree with that statement. He, he is only working with a few now, those who will be in first, the better resurrection, salvation chance for rest after second resurrection. See, I would re agree with the first sentence, and then after that, you've lost me. That's just me. Okay, let's get Libby up in here in this business. Where are you? And you much more truth. Why are you being so quiet today about this? For the living know that they not, shall not die. We've already hit that one. Ecclesiastes 9.5. That's a good one. That's a good one. We know that. Maybe I'm just um, banging on too much about this. Maybe I just need to lay it down. But um, it troubles me. It troubles me. I tell you why it troubles me, because I know that I was dead and now that I am alive. And I've reconciled to the fact that I've lost a lot of people that I loved and care about. And I just have to reconcile the fact it's not for me to judge them. But I do have to understand that by your fruits, you shall know them. And that you have to go, okay, well, I believe they had just as much as opportunity as anybody else, but they chose a different path, and therefore there is the consequences of thus. Right? Yashub, we are put on this earth to choose between life and death. I don't believe in the salvation after death. Yes, Julia says, Scott Anderson... Mike, if he raises his hand, give him a mic. Scott Anderson asked, do not people get to choose at the end of the 1,000-year reign whether to accept or reject the Messiah? Is this what you are speaking of? This is what, um, this um, is kind of what I'm talking about. But the problem is, this isn't talking about those born in the millennium. This is talking about those that have lived on this world right now, currently, or let's use Stalin, for example, dead. I would say, you know, by his works, they were pretty wicked. I would have to say the fruit that he produced was rotten to the core and hellacious. And I would fully expect him to be thrown into an eternal hell. And I feel pretty comfortable making that judgment. Now, the loosey-goosey liberals out there say, oh, you can't judge. No, the scripture commands us to judge. We're not to judge salvifically, but we're also not to be, you know, naive and say that, oh, I'm not going to look at their works and I'm not going to look at the fruit they're producing and make, you know, a, a determination. Yahweh can change anything and everything. I believe that. But we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And a lot of the people that says, well, I'm not going to judge, they end up finding themselves sitting down with the wicked because they didn't make the right judgments and then their life goes astray. Whereas me, 
I have had to move cities, move countries, and cast off friendships because we cannot walk together because we are not agreed. And I do not want to start walking with the wicked because the next thing I know is I'll sit down with the wicked. And the next thing I'll know, me and the wicked, it, I know how it goes. So I don't do that stuff. That's just me. And now you can say, well, you're being judgmental. No, I think I'm being sensible and I'm guarding myself from wickedness because I know what the dead man used to do and I am not going to put myself in that situation. So I'm very cautious, okay? Call me cautious. Well, I'm having a good time. I hope you are. My cup. Bum, 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 bum. There's no, no noise. Yeah, there is. I can hear okay. you. Right, right Two things. Number one. There is no private interpretation. There are two verses here, two opinions. Revelation and illumination is progressing. We don't know the answer to this one yet, but the answer he knows. No private interpretation. Number two, we as spiritual people, according to Scripture, nobody judges us. We are not judged. The scripture clearly teaches that. The spiritual man is not judged. Mm. Now, here's a question. Now, Bill Crane, and then I'll follow up with Michelle Moneywell. Bill Crane says, Matthew, most people who have, li who have lived in the world history have never heard the name Jesus, Yeshua, except etc. They have to be given their opportunity to learn and accept or reject. I think that personally is awfully limiting on Yahweh because I know that Yah the, the history tells us through testimony that there are people in the Middle East um, from Islam that have visitations. The Native Americans had visitations. Well, how do we know this? Yah if somebody is ripe and ready for the repentance, Yahweh could literally, Yahushua could present himself before them. So this is very abstract to me. It's again a private interpretation. The scripture doesn't say anything like that. And Romans clearly testifies that all, and that's solid scripture right there, have been given the opportunity because the creation bears witness. So I'm having a, a hard time with this one. I find it very liberal. So you would, this is Michelle Moneywell. It's not about me, okay? It, this is not about what I would do, okay? Because if I would do anything, I'll tell you what I would do. I would be burning in hell for eternity because I'm wicked as hell in my natural man. But because of what he has done in my life, I now declare the truth of Yahushua's blood that is salvation alone. And that salvation alone now has moved me from death into life. And now through a process of sanctification, not salvation, I get to enjoy a full life and minister, I pray to you as you minister to me. This isn't about me. This is about Yahuwah, and ultimately, this is about the blood of the Lamb. 
this is all about the blood of the lamb and I love this conversation so let's keep it going so you no not me would have those not called and those who never heard of Yahusha how do we know see again this is this is now we're in theory land and those who died before Yahusha came are condemned to eternal death Yah wants all to have life last time I checked Abraham was living before Yahusha came and he saw him Hmm. Because Yahweh is omnipotent, omniscient, and awesome. I wonder if I actually have some, oh see, I wonder, oh, i tell you why, um, Julia, thank you, Julia says, I am just not sure how he is scrolling through and have today because he is asking for folks who have typed questions, i tell you why, Julia, because it's called user error, um, I, ho I only had top chat clicked. Now I have live chat clicked, and I'm actually starting to see stuff on my screen. So bear with me as I learn to navigate the chat here. It's not something. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. Thank you. Um, Shabbat Fellowship says, Michelle Moneywell so you would have those not called... Oh, no, we already did that one. Libby Tube. Thank you, Libby. Bit late here, aren't you, to the picnic? Who are these? Revelation 22, verse 15. But outside are the dogs and those who enchant with drugs and those who whore and the murderers and the idolaters and those who love and do falsehood. Yeah, that's not sounding very salvific outside, is it, Libby? I think that's what she's trying to say. Now, my potato munchkin says, could clean living and pure thoughts be the choice after knowledge and the anointment of oil be the results of this in the pineal gland? Okay, so that one, I think, is a little off the potato munchkin trail right there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alicia says, I'm with you, Matthew, not hanging out with the wicked. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean you've got to be careful, them little wicked. Diesel Grandma. De we should change her to Diesel Gardener, apparently. That's the testimony. That's the witness I'm getting from Diesel Grandpa, that Diesel Grandma has been doing some major work out in the garden bringing forth a harvest for the righteous fear Yahweh and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for Yahweh shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or evil very succinct isn't it I love the word of Yahweh. oh here we go shalom refuge 
Universal salvation is the same teaching as purgatory. It kind of sounds like it, doesn't it, to me? <laughs> you can, yeah, you can pray for the dead. Much more truth. Hit it up much more. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That doesn't sound very salvific, does it? That's my word for the day. I'm stuck on it. Yes. Hit it up, Doug. So when we were at Sukkot last year, um, this was, and we were having this discussion, then uh, for me, I always come back to Psalm 19. And we've been talking uh, maybe a bit about and certainly around it um, all, all this time. I think that's what uh, Paul was referring to, was Psalm 19. And um, for my background, I always go with general revelation. Thank you, yes. And I shouldn't be telling you, the musician, to eat the mic for crying out loud. <laughs> so Psalm 19 uh, is in two basic parts. One is... Uh, so uh, the first part is showing that... Uh, Before you jump into that, you hit on something that's very important because you mentioned it at Suko. Mm -hmm. You said, and I want you just to mention that before you dive into the scripture, that you always go with general revelation. And then could you expand that, please? Because that, I, I remember, is a very succinct thought. Yeah, general revelation is the... Um, the idea that uh, no one, well, everyone is without excuse. And um, Psalm 19 is an explanation of that. So, um, like I said, Psalm 19 is in two parts. It's very interesting how it's in two parts. The first is, refers to what I call general revelation. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God or Yah, and I just messed it up. And, uh, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Uh, day unto day utters speech, and night uh, unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where, uh, where the voice is not heard. The line is gone out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. So no matter where you're at, either in history or location, the message is clear. I would totally agree with that. And the, the clear in that we can understand the difference between temporal and eternal, that which is uh, above all, which we attribute to God or, or to Yah, and that um, that there is a difference between um, that which is without beginning, without end, self-existing and self-maintaining, and the rest of us. So uh, this is what Psalm 19, I believe, is stating very clearly, is that uh, all the things that are made are clearly made. 
and manifest. And that there is uh, a creator. And that the creator is different, unique. And so that includes us as people and all of this around this dimension that we uh, experience. Now, Modesto Garza says, consider the parable of the vineyard workers who start work at different times of day but receive the same wages. Yahweh gives grace how and when he wants. Don't be jelly. Meaning don't be jealous. Now, I would agree, of course, it's scripture, but I believe that is restrictive to this life now. Meaning, like the thief on the tree who was right at the end of his life, hey, he gets the same reward as somebody who made a choice for Yahushua when they were seven years old. I totally agree with that. But I believe the parables, and when I read the scripture, they are talking about this life. When Moshe spoke the commandments, it was about this life. When Daniel spoke, when Jeremiah, I'd like to see the prophets speak of such a thing. Isaiah speaks about this life. Jeremiah, Daniel, the apostles, Peter, them all. I don't see the allegory of which this doctrine leads to. That's just me. But I'm fascinated with the subject because I do respect the people that hold this view. And like I said earlier, oftentimes when I've done a little digging, I've found it's come from a place of grieving that just hasn't been healed. So, you know, but it is, uh, I think... Uh, Carolinda Lancaster, and then we'll finish up with Trucker Bob in the back. I know your name's not Bob, but I just want to say. <laughs> the first judgment is for the righteous with the first resurrection. The second judgment is after the millennium. Here the wicked will be resurrected to be judged to destruction. So there you have it. There you have it. And we'll end up with our guest from New Orleans, the city of debauchery. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> My last name's Lot, and I <laughs> hail. And this, you are and I hail not looking. That is Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh my goodness! Um, you know, most people get this misconception that. Uh, you know, through John 3.16, that God loved the whole world, therefore everybody's covered. But there are conditions to that love. You can't just, yeah, he loved the whole world. That's why he, the, the, the field is the world, correct? Correct. He bought the field. Yes. But he's going to take out what he wants from the field. The treasure buried the treasure. in it. And everything else is burned up. Israel, the treasure in the field. He buys the field, the world. He redeems the world because he loves the world. But within the world is wheat and tares. And first he must come and gather in the wheat. 
gather up the tares, excuse me, and burn them so that he can see his wheat that he will then gather into the barn and there he will be able to find the buried treasure Israel within the field of the world. The purpose for I love, for Yah so loved the world, isn't because salvifically, there's that word again, the whole world is going to be, no. Within the field, which is the world, there is those that are going to be gathered up in this life for destruction. And there will be those gathered up in this life for going into the barn and then there is within that even a special sanctified group of Israel, which is the buried treasure in the, in the nations, those who have the testimony and keep the commandments of Yahushua. It's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. And I give all glory to the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, there is only one salvation, and there is only one name, and there is only one way to salvation, and it is by the blood of the Lamb. Our works do not save us. We are dead in our sins, and somebody who is dead can only be brought to life by an external source. And that external source sits upon the right hand and is alive today. Yahushua is alive. He is alive. And so is John. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. That was a great way. Thank you so much. Hey, you guys, blessings in the chat. Blessings you that are watching now sometime later. Hit us up in the comment section below. Please subscribe to the channel. Give us some thumbs up. Thumb, 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 thumb up. And consider stewardship and donating to the ministry in these times. And I hope to see you next Shabbat when the smoke clears in these smoky, set-on-fire cities. Of course, you've got those Antifa little, little tears out there right now setting Portland, Oregon on fire last night because this, of course, is all part of the agenda for the COVID pandemic pushing forward to November. Watch out for those two false witnesses. Watch out for the burning of 45 because these days they are telegraphing like mad because there's a whole bunch of sheeple out there that are just following along, following along to destruction. But there's another group out there, you, watching right now. And I pray that you do have the blood of the Lamb covering you and that you have the two witnesses right now leading you and directing you. That's the power of prayer and the guidance of the Ruach HaKodesh.